So there was an owner of an insurance agency that was getting ready to take an extended vacation. So he called his staff together, wanted to make sure and motivate them to be diligent while he was gone, and uh, then he took off. Well, after his vacation, he was very interested to see how things went in his absence, so he pulled his staff back together, and he could tell that they were very excited to share their report for him. And so they talked about how they had decided to freshen up the office some, and so there was new paint on the walls, new carpet for the floor, upgraded office furniture. They talked about how they felt the need to make sure they had right information on all of their policyholders. So they'd been calling policyholders and getting updated information. They uh, installed a new phone system. They found a software program that could track claims. And the boss was pleased with all of this, but when they finished their enthusiastic report, he said, that's great, but I just have one question to ask. How much insurance did you sell? And at that, their heads dropped. And they said, well, we didn't sell any insurance. You see, they had done a lot of good things, but they failed to do the one thing that the boss cared about the most, selling insurance. Well, we're in the series today called Family Business, and we're looking at our mission as a family, as a church family, in your in your personal family, and then as a church family. And today, as Pastor Deb mentioned, it's Pentecost Sunday. What Pentecost is all about is the birth of the church. So what I want to do today is I want to give you a little history lesson about the birth of the church, and then we're going to look at what God is saying to us today as we continue to be an expression of him in our world today. So let's start our story at the beginning. That's usually a pretty good place to start. I mean the beginning. Genesis 1-1, the very first verse in all of Scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So our story starts with God. And God created Adam and Eve because he wanted to have relationship with us. Well, Adam and Eve failed their test in the Garden of Eden. Then God decided, I'm going to have a people, a chosen people, that I could set up for the whole world as an example of the kind of relationship I want to have with everyone. Well, this chosen nation, those folks didn't ever quite get it. And so, God didn't quit. In his most dramatic move in history, God sends his son, Jesus, to come and, as the Gospel of John says, to become flesh and to make his dwelling among us. So Jesus shows us what God is like. He offers his very life as a sacrifice for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. But on that Friday, as far as 
his followers were concerned, things looked pretty bleak. It looked like to them the whole thing was over. But we know what happened on Sunday morning. So after the resurrection, Jesus hangs out with his followers for 40 more days. And then he ascends to heaven. But just before he ascends to heaven, he gives his followers final instructions. And that's where we're going to pick up the story from the Bible. The book of Acts says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. So these followers of Jesus experienced this. Amazing, amazing reality of Jesus being taken into the heavens. Well, they did what he asked them to do. About 120 of them went back to Jerusalem to wait for the power that this promised Holy Spirit would bring. They waited for this grand opening of the church. I'm sure some of you have been a part of a grand opening, maybe a, a, a retail store or a restaurant. So you know what has to happen for a grand opening to take place. First of all, you have to find a place, either build it or lease it, and then you furnish it, and then you've got to find employees, and you've got to train them. Lots of advertising, lots of marketing, all leading toward the big opening day, usually balloons and big signs, and you finally get there, and you're off and running with your new business. Well, let's look at the opening day, the grand opening of the church, continuing in the book of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? So you can imagine just the amazement of these Jews that had come from all over the known world or people that had converted to Judaism come 
into Jerusalem from all over the world for the, peace, the feast of Pentecost. And now they're hearing about Jesus in their own language spoken by these Galilean followers of Jesus. Unbelievable. Then Peter takes center stage, verse 14. Here's what he says. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, which is what they thought was happening. They're drunk. They're out of their minds. They're not drunk, he says, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on in the passage to quote from the prophet Joel, which is all about this promised Holy Spirit that would come to be with the people. And then Peter continues his talk to talk about Jesus, who Jesus was, his ministry, his crucifixion, and his resurrection from the dead. And Peter ends his stirring talk by saying, this Jesus is Lord. He is Messiah. He is the Christ. He is who he said he was. Look at the response of the people. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, in order for you to really understand the magnitude of their response, you've got to look at that Greek word for cut, where it's translated they were cut to the heart. That Greek word is kataniso. And it means to pierce. So the idea here is that these people were pierced by the Spirit's conviction. So please understand that all these people that are hearing this are not thinking, oh, this is nice. They're thinking, oh my goodness. If Jesus really is who Peter says he is, then my life is going to change. That's why they ask the question, what are we supposed to do? What are we going to do with this? This is, this is big stuff. This is a whole new deal. We've heard about this Messiah that's been prophesied for hundreds of years. And you're saying it's Jesus. Do you, you understand that for them to hear this message and to be pierced in their heart, oh my goodness, this could be it. This could be what we've waited for for centuries. So that, that's what's going on there in that verse when it says they were cut to the heart and asked, what shall we do? So Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the only reasonable response to the love of God who convicts you when you're in that process of moving Toward him, And I would just stop and say, if there's someone here today that hasn't yet crossed the line of faith, 
For you, you're still kind of seeking, you're still kind of investigating whether you want to follow Jesus, whether you want to accept his gift of eternal life in your heart. That's, that's it. That's your step. Repent. Turn away from being your own boss. Turn toward him. Receive his grace and mercy and love and forgiveness in your life. That's what Peter says to all these people. And here's the response. Verse 41, look at this. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Whoa! What a grand opening. Friends, that's a game changer. 3,000 that day were baptized. You know, I started thinking about that. I thought, I bet the water got really dirty. 3,000 baptisms. We're going to baptize a couple of folks, but 3,000. And put it in context. Here's Jesus. He had ministered for three years, mostly hanging out with 12, but creating some big crowds, his teaching, his miracles. But then they had him killed, and the disciples think the whole thing's over. Then Sunday happens. Then Jesus hangs out with them for 40 days. Then he ascends to heaven, sends 120 of them to, the whole, to Jerusalem to wait, and then this, and 3,000 of them are saved. What a grand opening. And that's what we celebrate today on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday. The church being launched into the world. That was almost 2,000 years ago. Since then, the church has had times of persecution. Church has had times of corruption. Church has had times of stagnation. And has had times of explosive growth. Most folks say that today there are 2.2 billion Christians in the world. 2.2 billion. And that's us. We're a part of that number right here in this local church. So can we talk about us for a little bit? Westchester Nazarene. I love this church. I love being a part of this church. And uh, we just finished our fiscal year, which runs June through May. And so we just kind of looked at some statistical data from our last fiscal year, which I'd like to share with you. So let's look at it a little bit. This year, our, our giving is... 111,387. I'm sorry, is that? Yeah, that's not right. It's like 1.3 million. I've got a, I, I'm sorry guys, I've got a newsletter. Who, whoever sees it first, total giving. 
Is that right? What's that? That's tithes and offerings. So that's not total giving. Okay. So anyway, friends, I just want to tell you, that is the most you have ever given. That like sets the all-time record. Yeah. Which, which to me, when I ask the question, what does that mean that we gave more than we've ever given in a year when we didn't have a senior pastor? What does that mean? I mean, I suppose we all have our ideas about it, but to me, the thing that jumps out is it means health. It means we are a healthy church. We all love Pastor Bob. We're sorry that, you know, he made that decision to accept that offer to become the DS. I told him he shouldn't have a year ago, but he wouldn't listen to me. We love Pastor Bob, but isn't it exciting that here we are almost a year later and we have raised more money than we ever had. Um, Average worship attendance, 582. It's down a little from the last year, but that's a really good number. But you know the story I told at the beginning of the message about the insurance guy and his question, how much insurance did you sell? See, I think we have that kind of question for us. A bottom line kind of question. And I think that question is, how many people are getting saved? How many people are becoming followers of Jesus through the ministry of this local church? Now, I don't want to minimize all the people who are coming to Christ by our investment around the world through our mission system of 700 missionaries in 159 countries. That's awesome, and we want to continue to invest in that. But what I'm talking about right now is just right here. How many people are being saved? Well, we don't exactly have that number, but we do have the number that kind of gets at that, that we're going to report to the district assembly. And that is new members by profession of faith. And what that means is this is the number of people who have joined the church that haven't transferred from another Nazarene church. Okay, that's what that number means. And this year, that number for us is 16. 16 people. We celebrate that. 16 people who have joined us as a result of either becoming new Christians or certainly not coming to us from another Nazarene church. And you're going to hear the story of one of those people in just a little while. And I guarantee you that will be the highlight of this service. But while we're kind of talking about us, this very first Sunday of our new fiscal year, Pentecost Sunday, in this series, Family Business, can I just remind us of our mission You know what our mission statement is, right? How many of you know our mission statement? What is our mission statement? Passing our passion to every generation. Let's say it together. Passing our passion to every generation. Now, how many of you know our mission statement? Can I see your hands? Every one of you. That's awesome. Passing our passion 
to every generation, our passion for Jesus, our passion to walk with him and invite others to walk with him and have that relationship that he originally intended to have with us when he created the world. When it says passing our passion to every generation, we're talking about the fact that there are boys and girls, there are moms and dads, there are grandmas and grandpas that don't know Jesus yet, right here in our communities. And our challenge is to pass that passion for Christ to them all across the board age-wise. How do we do that? Starts with our hearts. God, give us the compassion. Give us the love to accept every person, to understand that every person matters to God, so they better matter to us. And then it involves building bridges of friendship with them. Listening to them. Finding common ground. When the opportunity arises to share our story of the difference that Christ has made in our life and hopefully live winsome lives to the point that when they look at us, they say, hmm, Kim's got something that I think I need. Maybe she can help me understand how to live better. And then to share our story of faith. How we have come to accept this gift and how we're following Jesus. And to invite them to come join us in that journey. I'm not talking about obnoxious stuff. I'm not talking about bullhorns on the corner, okay? I'm not talking about that. People are repulsed by that, I think. At least I am. I'm talking about having conversations, conversations with people where we get to share our faith. I think as a church, we are well positioned to help you in your evangelistic efforts. I think our location is great. Don't you think right here on Tylersville Road, I'm so grateful so many decades ago, this land was purchased and this church was built right here. Our facilities are great and they're virtually paid for. We have ministries to children and youth and young adults and senior adults. We have ministries like Celebrate Recovery that are specifically focused to help people who struggle with habits and hang-ups. We have ministries for people who are grieving. We have ministries for people who are going through the pain of divorce. We have ministries for people who are struggling financially. The point of all this is that all of those things are tools for you to use as you seek to reach out to the people God puts in your path. As a pastoral staff, we love to partner 
with you. Can I tell you a quick story about that? Maybe a couple months ago, Dale Farmer came up to me after an Access 502 service, told me about his brother-in-law, said he has stage four cancer, not sure where he is spiritually. So I talked with him and I said, I would love to have you meet my pastor friend so that we could talk about that. Are you open to that kind of a meeting? And this guy said, sure. So he came to me and said, would you be willing to meet with me and my brother-in-law? Well, I said, that would be awesome. I'd love to do that. So later that week, he came, picked me up at church, and just went down Cox Road. And so we had this conversation. It was really great. The Holy Spirit sort of made it easy to lead the conversation towards spiritual things. And this guy talked about how he was confident that when he breathed his last, he would be in heaven because of the gift that he had received through what Jesus did on the cross. It was great to hear that. And I know it was great for Dale and Kathy. But the point I'm trying to make is, Dale cared enough to take initiative to have that kind of conversation. That's, that's the challenge for us in our family business. To understand the critically important job we have to share Christ with our friends. Well, I'm out of time, and the best part of the service is yet to come. We're going to baptize two folks.